Hey now. Becky, you should know I'm sensitive by now. Really? You can't be doing Yeah. I mean, I just listened to this episode that these fine people are about to listen to themselves, hopefully. Hmm. And I really couldn't take the part where you told me that it wasn't funny enough for you. Um... I'm sure it was mostly funny. I'm sure I was just being overly critical, probably, of the most you blamed unfunny it, part. You blamed it on your hedonism, I think. <laughs> but you'll have to listen to it. I'm pretty sure you did. Oh, I mean, some things you just, you, sometimes you just want to be able to enjoy, enjoy your life, you know? Yeah, that's true. Eat, eat I don't know what that food. has to do with, Yeah. right. Yeah, you're right. Um, it has nothing to do with it. Are you going to cut other... this part out, too? <laughs> Any other, any other disjointed thoughts you want to share with the world, Becky? No. Moral of the story is don't ask for feedback <laughs> from me in particular. I'm going to write that on a sticky note and just put it on my computer here. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Uh, hi, my name is Danny Caballero, and I feel uh, excited and frustrated about three-dimensional learning. Mm. All right, tell the truth, Danny. You were expecting a different Paul from the pile of Pauls that you work with. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, right. You know, I really didn't know which which one was gonna gonna be on the call. I'll be honest. Are you like? manufacturing us in a basement lab somewhere under the cyclotron i don't know why paul was such a popular name in the mid 80s but i don't know i don't think i don't think this paul's a mid 80s paul oof i'm a i'm a mid 90s paul (laughs) wow i'm old as hell oh he's not i'll just go with that i also know for some reason that you're a big lebowski fan um I think of my role within our group as kind of like Donnie. I kind of scurry around and people tell me that I'm like a child who wanders in the middle of a movie. and wanders Yeah, around. I could see that. You being out of your element. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, some other quotes I can't say because this is not an explicit. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> Becky, is that, Becky is that the nihilist woman who cuts her toe off because she's you know willing to do anything for the team. I have an idea for you, Dan. I have an idea for you, Danny. But um, do you see yourself as somebody in there? Well, you know, like within the confines of our three DL life. I think it depends. I feel like I can bring a, a pretty strong Walter energy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was toggling between Jesus and the stranger. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> You kind of so the stranger. I don't know if Becky even has any idea what we're talking about. I kind of well, guess. I've only seen it once, and I, I oh, okay. so no. Yeah, that's that's Sorry. that's an insufficient number of times. That's just sad. Um, but anyway, the stranger has kind of a broader perspective, and he he kind of drops some knowledge on you, and then walks away, drinks a sarsaparilla. That's so, fair. Um, I'd love to do this entire episode matching everyone on our team with Lebowski characters, but we'd probably get in trouble. <laughs> at some point so come back to real life um specifically now your memory of your real life so let's start with um whether you remember the class that you feel like you learned the most when you were an undergraduate 
I do. So I think the class that I learned the most um, as an undergrad from in physics was uh, the modern physics class I took at Texas. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, I think that class is the one that I, I feel like I learned the most in because it had this like a really good coupling of what we were doing in the class and what we were doing in the in the lab. And it was new to me um, because like at the time I had learned mechanics in E&M um, in high school and then I took the courses again, basically. Um, and they were the same as the high school courses I took. They were just bigger. Um, hmm. So the modern one was like the first one that was like really new material um, and like having to learn new, like really new things. Becky, you going over or under on this one? Uh, I think I'm going to go over. Okay. So Danny, what, what percent of that class, if you were going to, if somebody sat down and coded all the uh, instruction and assessments with the lap and the lot, what, what percent would we, would be what we consider to be three-dimensional? Uh, for the lecture portion? Plus or minus 1%. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, within the lecture portion, probably zero, right? Um, I mean, we, we were just, we were just lectured at, right? Um, but in the laboratory portion, everything, everything was hands-on with, with a partner, right? And so, um, I'd say most of it, right, was like trying to build a build ex, like experimental evidence for what models we had. So um, the I don't remember the assessments from the lecture. They were just like homework and like the usual sort of homework and exams that you would normally have. Mm -hmm. um, but the the laboratories had like you know laboratory write ups and stuff that you know you had to synthesize the theory and the experiment and sort of like point your point like make your argument for the experimental evidence you had and stuff so i don't know that there was a good framework at that time i mean this was back i guess paul when you were in high school i don't know <laughs> um, um it was in yeah. like 2002 maybe so the over under thing was everybody else uh, it's when i asked him that question it was it's right around zero, but the 3% is what Becky was guessing if you're going to say over or under. Yeah. I think she got it right if you count the lab part. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But if you consider just the, the lecture part, you know, you made it through that. You survived. You are doing well. Turned out fine. So why do we need something different um, for today's college student? For the lecture class. Or do we? For the lecture part, yeah. I think there's broader recognition that... Um, you know, what people get out of uh, classes that are maybe taught the way that they were taught in the past, like is not really what we would hope for, right? And you started, you asked me for my like best experience, I can give you lots of worst experiences than mm -hmm. where I where yeah, you know, where that wasn't the case. But I also think like, I, I am someone who is particularly interested in that class, right? And so like, that being my, maybe one of my favorite classes is because I enjoyed it right and and i'm uh, uh a different person than the other people that were in the class i have i have a i had a different career tra trajectory than the people that were in that in that class and so you know speaking to a broader group of people and what we want them to learn uh from those science classes like i don't think that i'm the right example <laughs> of that hmm. 
an outlier. Uh, yeah, an outlier in the data. Mm -hmm. I think you have, I think you have an important point of view within our group because you've been marinating on 3DL maybe longer than some of us, and your research program, I'd say, is is diverse. Um, so I, you, you do everything from uh, this is a partial list from characterizing student thinking to your focus on the computational modeling side of things and also recently tracking like the academic path of students through their undergrad experience. So what I want to kind of start with is where does 3DL land in this broader landscape of your research interests? Yeah, I think one of the things that's like interesting is so I'm not a I'm I'm not necessarily like ride or die for 3DL, but I think there's a piece of it that's really there's a couple pieces of it that are really critical. And one is the, what are the central sort of governing principles of the science that need to be part of the learning, right? Um, so, you know, the core ideas, um, and then the ways in which we make use of those ideas is really critical. So the, the practice side of it. And so I wouldn't say that I like really do a lot of research in 3DL outside of the group. Um, but rather that I do a lot of design and research around um, practice, right? Like, what does it mean to do the work of science? Um, and how do you characterize and understand that? And how does that lead to understanding? So I guess I see sort of more of a coupling of like my interests to this framework rather than like actually doing research on the hmm. framework. Um, yeah, we're going to actually have to let you go because this show is only ride or die. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll take my leave. Thanks for then. coming. Yeah, no, appreciate it. Bye. I have a follow-up question, though. Um, so uh, the framework was produced right around the time you started at MSU. Had you been thinking about practices or core ideas or however you would have characterized that, how, how scientists do the work of science before? Um, uh, before you came to MSU or? Yeah, I think, I think they were in a couple of different ways. So like, yeah, you're right. The, the, the framework kind of came out right around the time I was, I think I was a postdoc when it came out and I started reading it and was like, oh, this is really interesting. And it sort of fits with a lot of the stuff that we've been trying to do in the past. Right. So I think I'd always been interested in the, in the computational side of things as a, as a tool for understanding physics. Um, but when I was in grad school, I also um, worked with a, a Georgia Tech's um, K-12 outreach group. Um, and so um, for the summer, I was actually funded to do professional development with high school teachers for two weeks, um, for two or three summers, and developed um, laboratory activities where they would um, engage in, I guess what I learned were practices later, right? So they would like build evidence of, um, you know, the, the kinematic equations through the use of stopwatches and, um, you know, uh, rulers and things, but just stuff that they could bring in from home. And so we sort of modified the approved list to like what they had. But I think that in itself, like building that evidence is actually a pretty, pretty challenging task with you know, just a few, the, the kinds of tools that these folks had. So I think like the practice, going back to like the original question, Becky, like I think the practice stuff was kind of embedded in there, but I didn't have language for it. Sure. 
you kind of took us here a little bit. So if we go back a little bit in history, how do you how do you think of 3DL with respect to where we've been, say over yeah. the last you know hundred years? It's it's an interesting question because uh, there's actually a lot of work that people have done on the history of like physics and physics teaching, um, and what you see is these cycles that happen probably every 30 to 40 years, right? And I think, you know, there's there's stuff all along the way, right? But there's sort of these sort of big ebbs and flows of like, we're not teaching science right, and now we've solved it, and actually, no, we didn't solve it, right? And and it's sort of, it's really interesting um, how many times we uh, cycle through this sort of approach of teaching science in different ways with new tools as they become available to us, and then, um, they become sort of the standard operating procedure. And then we decide that we haven't actually just, we haven't actually solved the, the science teaching problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we come up with new ways of thinking about it. You, uh, in the, in your intro line, you said you included frustrated as one of your descriptions of 3DL. Why did, why did you say you were that 3DL is frustrating you these days in part with, was it excitement and frustration? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's exciting because it's, it's, it leads to interesting ways of, of teaching science, right? And seeing students like make sense of things in ways that um, you don't see when you, you don't have students actually trying to um, articulate their understanding and working with models and building arguments together. And, and right. Like when they're, when they're engaged in that process, the, the classroom looks different and the, the discussion is totally different because it's grounded in what, what students are understanding at the time, right? Um, and and you start to see how how interesting their understanding is and how complex it actually is and where it's grounded and it's not um, trivial or or um, um, or wrong. It's just how they understand it. And um, I think the frustrating part of it is that there's so many different ways of understanding, like trying to under trying to get into that. Um, with students and really have the time to to do it is what's I find most frustrating mm-hmm. is that I, I feel like taking a taking an approach where you have students trying to do the work of science means that you need to spend more time and go slower with with it um, mm-hmm. right you you have to sort of step back and recognize that all of the ways in which they're making sense of these things is is actually part of a uh, longer process of how they would how they would bring to bear the practices to new phenomenon right or new ideas um and there's this constant pressure of moving on to the next thing moving on to the next topic right there's this sort of expectation that you you sort of spend a week on something and then you move to the next thing, but maybe you haven't really exhausted that full week's worth of understanding because Mm -hmm. there's so many interesting things that came out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's, that's the frustrating part for me. Yeah. Um, You are, you've made this clear. You're not right at I3DL, but I don't think anybody from our team would say, you know, 3DL good, anything else bad, or I don't think anyone would say that 3DL is all you need, but it does help us as a framework. It helps us think about what we should be paying attention to, core ideas, practices, cross-cutting concepts, maybe. <laughs> but what else What else outside of that should instructors be paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the 
the stuff that I see in the 3DL framework has to do with um, what I would still say are kind of normative understandings of science, right? Where people are still like, there's still some uh, way of understanding that you have to adopt. And I think that one of the things that's missing from there is what the science classes do for students outside of that, like um, sparking their interest in science, um, helping them to develop a, an identity that is um, that intersects with science, that they see themselves as scientists or as future scientists, um, that we can be wrong, that we can adjust things, um, that there's uh, a consensus-driven effort to the development of, of science ideas, that it's cooperative, um, and that it's not sort of normative in the sense of like, well, we, we've established these things, so now you learn how to investigate what we've established, but rather to say um, we have approaches to understanding new things which doesn't only include the ways in which we do those things, but includes like the interactions with other people, the culture of the, the science discipline, the collaborative nature of the, of the work. It includes all of these things that have pretty strong influences on students' engagement in science, their persistence in science, their mm -hmm. future science careers and trajectories and so forth, right? Like, I, I just feel like there's not a lot of attention paid to that. Yeah, I think those are outcomes that you get when you um, start pushing or start getting more intrinsic or kind of inherent satisfaction out of things. And you're right, giving them a prescribed or normative uh, description of what it is that you need to be able to do and being real explicit about it isn't going to drive anyone's like intrinsic interest through the, through the roof. But so I, I think I hear what you're saying. So I do want to talk about one of your things, which is the whole computational side of things. We And sure. a lot of people, not just from physics, but chemistry and biology too, talk about this need to move beyond calculation when we're thinking about what students should be able to do. Can you just talk about the difference between physics problems, say, that are considered what sometimes we throw around this word numerical and those that we might identify as being more 3D or, you know, using the math and computational thinking practice? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the traditional um, physics courses and the traditional physics assessments are, are like prepare a situation and, you know, there's one missing value, right? And so the idea is to construct a, uh, an equation or a set of equations that describe the situation to find that missing number or those missing numbers. And there's many sort of you know, cute ways that people go about doing that to <laughs> produce um, uh, more challenging problems, right? But at the end of the day, you know, the point is to get the the numerical results that the you know homework system expects of you, or the or what have you. Um, and so, I think the the computation affords uh, a, a sort of um, investigatory playfulness to it that you see when people work like when when people work with theoretical equations to try to understand a system 
they often characterize that as sort of playing with the math, right? They're, they're sort of moving these sophisticated equations around and kind of adjusting them and looking at them and so forth. Um, and it's not that they have a, a unique understanding of that situation yet. It's that they are investigating it from different angles using their expertise around the mathematics that they need to do. These are all the kinds of things that you see people do when they play with theory is they probe the system in a wide variety of ways and then they make conceptual conclusions from that that hang together. What mm -hmm. computation affords you is the ability to tune and tool with those systems to build that conceptual knowledge. And that lowers the, the sort of theoretical barrier. They're still doing the same kinds of games, but those games are facilitated by the, the computational tool. And the changes that you make to it are really simple and don't require the student to engage in the more advanced mathematics that they don't yet have. So I think it's that, that sort of playfulness of, of probing a physical system and building a conceptual understanding from it that um, that computation affords in both intro and advanced, but in particular in intro where the mathematical tool set isn't, isn't as developed. Yeah, even if they do have all the mathematical tools, there's a lot of reasons to do it computationally anyways. Um, yeah. I thought it was interesting that you used the word playfulness a couple of times in there. Um, because when you when you started your explanation or you started your response to the question, I was almost thinking of like a sandbox, like computation affords the students a play space mm -hmm. um, that is wider, that's broader, that is can lead to more different outcomes than a typical numerical yeah. problem yeah. Um, can. And I don't know. I wondered if you do you think about it that, or is that is that too broad? Is it too like you know, is that not a, a good analogy? I think that's a fair analogy um, because I, I think like when you look at the way that people engage with, you know, computational modeling, right? They build up a model and they then they begin to play with it, right? You you tune the parameters, you investigate different areas of it, and so forth. And sort of going back to the analogy of or the the, the example of the the homework problem, right? That's given in a regular class, right? Um, if you give me a setup like you know, ball flying through the air, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, I can make that a, a computational activity and a student can solve all of their homework problems that are about balls flying in the air, right? Because the, the, the play of, of changing the angle and, you know, changing the speed and, you know, moving the, the initial height or the final location, or even moving it from earth to Mars or what, like all of those things are just tunable parameters in the computational mm -hmm. model. Right. And so the idea of like exploring that space to understand how these different things relate to the the specific physics of free fall, for example, um, like a single problem doesn't really do that. Uh, a, a computational tool in which a bunch of different investigations can be done pretty quickly, like can help do that. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, I think you're right in the, the, the sandbox and it's sort of many outcome spaces is really what you are afforded. Well, and the, this playfulness, you know, maybe we're connecting these things now where by using the scientific practice, it, it affords students this to, to be able to have this kind of playfulness. And that does push you more towards enjoyment or kind of maybe inherently enjoying uh, the work and which leads to more sustaining and all that. When we ask people about the direction of the physics department at Michigan State, your name inevitably pops up. And 
I'm going to use a word here that I don't know is fair, but I'm going to try it anyways. How would you describe your personal experience behind the work that you've done to, here's the word, institutionalize 3DL within the physics department? At Yikes. Um, blood, sweat, and tears, Paul. <laughs> a lot of learning the, the history and the culture of my department and why we do things the way that we do and pushing on areas that maybe don't make a lot of sense for why we do those things the way we do. Um, mm -hmm. But then bringing in people to be a part of it, right? Like I wouldn't say that, that I have institutionalized 3DL. Um, what I would say is that I've been part of a, a, a team effort to develop new courses that meet the needs of the department and it, you know, the needs of the department, uh, you know, involve evidence-based approaches and the three-dimensional framework is one of the better, better uh, frameworks for those evidence-based approaches, right? Because it sort of makes sense to um, our faculty, right? To say like, well, we, you know, we should be doing these things because this is how we want to portray our science. It's very easy to have that conversation with them and they agree the hard part is then saying, okay, how do we make that actually happen in our department, right? What are the factors that do it? And so, um, you know, a lot of that work is done by uh, Paul and Daryl um, now. Uh, in the past, it was Paul and I um, that did quite a bit of it. Um, but I wouldn't say, like, we've also done a lot of work to bring on board faculty. We've done a lot of faculty professional development um, and tried to really bring people on to the idea that this is a better way of doing the instruction. It's it's better for the students in terms of the outcomes. It's also like more interesting to them, right? Like it's you, you're you're actually working with students and working with with ideas and stuff. Um, and so so we've done a lot of that as well. And then I think what's really been quite great is that 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 initial work has really continued to go on without much influence from me, right? Like, hmm. you know, with, with the same kind of process of like bringing new faculty in and teaching them how to teach the course and so forth. And then Paul and Daryl have continued to scale up courses and bring new faculty in right in every semester to try to make sure that like, you know, the number of people that we have that are trained to teach these courses is sufficient. Um, mm -hmm. So, and it seems like they're feeling some kind of ownership too. It's not just the numbers, um, but it's a shift there too. Yeah, I think in part that's also important, right? You can't be too dictatorial about the way that you do the implementation in a, in a, in a department like ours where everybody feels some ownership, right? You have to have some opportunity to say like, okay, well, the overall framework is what we're, what we're working with. But like within that framework, you are welcome to bring in new ideas and new experiments or new problems or what have you. Um, like we welcome, we welcome that as long as it's consistent with the framework that the department has adopted. And, and in part, that's been a lot of departmental, um, work, right. To like push people along to like have open conversations about what the point of our courses is and to like, make sure that the perspective is not coming from me, but it's coming from the department, right. That, that, that people in the department are supportive of this. And that is why we continue mm -hmm. to move it forward. This is you've mentioned this a little bit, but you have uh, pretty you have a lot of experience um, teaching the upper division courses. So I just want to give people a I don't I, maybe for myself too. But as we as you go up the course catalog in numbers, 
there are there's changes in class size and then you know the, the content is different what else is different about the experience as you go up to a more upper division yeah courses? that's a good question yeah so the classes are definitely smaller and the the population of students is um is different right because it's a it's a it's a group of students who are intending to become physicists and so they have a different um way of thinking about the course that they're taking than you know sort of a broader introductory course I, you know, I find that students are far more capable than I think we give them credit for in those upper level courses. They are, they're, they're really um, sharp and they're, and they're really interested for the most part. Um, I think that they draw a lot of different experiences. So you get a lot of really interesting conversations with students where they may know a little bit more about something than you do because they've studied it more recently. They've been working on it from a research perspective and stuff, which is really great. I think you also get like, I think a stronger relationship with the students. Like I feel a lot more connected to my majors than I did when I taught intro. Um, and I think in part, that's just, I spend a lot, I feel like I spend a lot more time with them because the class is smaller. And uh, I think it helps. Like the other thing that I really like is teaching two, like we have two semester sequences for these courses. I like teaching them both because I usually get the same students for the whole year. And so I really get to work with them and develop a relationship with them and sort of push on their um, like understanding of physics more generally, but also like help them navigate their future. That's the right time for them to be sort of exploring what they're going to do. So um, mm -hmm. so I think it's it's very different than the sort of freshman intro courses. I wonder if this has been true in your experience. You can also essentially like help the students leverage your own connections, right? Like whenever, when they're interested in, okay, I'm interested in biophysics research or whatever, and they get, you know, whatever, you know, you're sort of off the cuff, um, most interesting person that you know of, you mm -hmm. know, who's doing biophysics or, yeah. you know, they're interested in history of physics or whatever. So I think those are, those are really kind of, it's rewarding to be able to give some of those resources to students. Yeah, that's right. I think, I mean, the, the, inter the introductions that you can provide to some of those students, to people in your own department, right, that like help to foster their interest is pretty, is is, is definitely uh, been my experience. Yeah. So you know what you do in your upper level classes. Do we know anything more broadly in terms of instructional practices maybe maybe with 3dl in mind as you move from the big gateway classes up to the these smaller more intimate upper level classes i think that's an interesting question because i don't know that the 3dl thinking has made it up there but i think the idea of like um central ideas plus practice have made it when you do that, you end up using a lot of the same uh, techniques that are viable in introductory physics, right? You use clicker questions and tutorial activities and um, small group discussion and, you know, revised homework questions that are, I would say, maybe more 2D, right? I, the 3D part of it, the cross-cutting concepts, I, I don't see where that gets adopted so much in the upper level because at some point you're starting to train people to be that discipline, right? Like you're saying, okay, well, you've decided to be a physicist. You are now taking, you know, advanced DNM and advanced quantum, right? Like these are things you need to know to, to be a, you know, functioning physicist. Um, 
it's not that there is an opportunity for it. I just haven't seen it as much. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, Becky has just uh, let me know that these questions have not been fun enough for her so far. So I'm, <laughs> I'm a hedonist. I'm sorry. I think what she wants are the would you rather questions. I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll throw one in there. This was kind of physics based, I think. Okay. Um, would so you have to pick one? Um, would you rather push a lawnmower with a handle that's way too high, or push a lawnmower with a handle that's way too low? <laughs> oh man, that's a good question. Uh, way too high or way too low? Can you modify it? Probably way too high because I I like I remember being like really short. I mean, I still am, but like, I remember being shorter um, and uh, having to mow the lawn when I was like eight and, you know, having to be like this. So like, I feel like I have the experience to deal with this situation, whereas dealing with the other situation sounds like I would throw my old back out. (laughs) Seems It seems like you lift it up too and it'd be like spraying stuff all over if it was too low, all over the yard rocks. (laughs) That's right. Um, well, gosh, Becky's really just taking me down a few notches, but I don't know if we've told Danny about our, our wand that we've been working on. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you talked about that, Becky? No, I no. thought it was secret. Oh, no, it's, it's out oh, there boy. now. Okay. Um, actually, well, yeah, let's, yeah, it's a wand. So, uh, it's right it, here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're very into yeah. harry potter right now so i have a harry potter one <laughs> right next awesome. to my desk so we've charged that wand. We, we've charged that wand up with some special juice and it instantly converts someone whoever uh into a three-dimensional believer a 3do believer and even a master but the problem is that we only we've only figured out how to make it last for a hundred spells i don't know Spells, thank you. I was gonna say applications. That just sounds, that doesn't fit with this. See, not fun. Spells, fun. <laughs> applications, not fun. So anyway, the, go on, uh, go on. the would you rather is would you rather take that wand and wave it over a hundred faculty members in one institution, or take that wand and wave it over a hundred faculty in one hundred institutions? Uh, I guess I. I guess I'd rather uh, wave that wand over two faculty at fifty institutions. Mm-mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open. It. I'm gonna make it less close-ended in a second. But first, you gotta pick one. Um. Yeah, I guess probably a hundred faculty at a hundred different institutions. Mm. Interesting. But I'm sticking with 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 uh, two at fifty, because you need you need you need a partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Friends. <laughs> so let's say let's instead of a wine, let's say it's a vaccine, and we have plenty of it to go around eventually. But there's some distribution bottlenecks, mm. um, so it's going to take ten years to get it into everyone's arm. Um, how do you? start to think about distributing shots who gets to the front of the line yeah that's a good question um i think i would stick with probably the cdc guidelines and go with the olds first um <laughs> because the olds have the power in most departments 
and then uh, and then you know and then frontline workers and, and go down from there. Um, you know the the frontline workers being the instructors that are actually teaching the courses, and then and then the rest of the faculty. But uh, but probably yeah, start with the olds. Do you think we would have an entirely new shot in 10 years or will we just be modifying it to account for the variance along the way? <laughs> yeah. If history, if history is any indication, we'll probably have a brand new shot um, mm -hmm. as opposed to a booster. Any, <laughs> yeah. any uh, interest in uh, taking a stab at what that'll look like? Oh, probably 4d. <laughs> doesn't have the same ring yeah yeah well i think uh ecology already has that i think diane's already talked about ecology Ooh. society of america doing uh 4d so it'll have oh, to be more like four squared or something i don't know hmm. all right danny we really appreciate your time and your insight and your willingness to play in this sandbox um stay Thanks. safe Thanks for Take the rest me. of the day off. Watch some zombie movies or yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> solve some some quantum mechanics problems and write some notebooks. Cool. Well, be Oof. sure to do something fun after. Yeah, I, I will. I will definitely. So, thank you all for doing this. This is right. this is fun. I'm I'm glad y'all are doing it. It's all cool. Right. Thanks, man. Thanks, Danny. All right.